to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 this morning has absolutely nothing to do with Wife Appreciation Day. Uh, I had no idea that it was Wife Appreciation Day. Uh, We just happened to find ourselves in Titus uh, 2, verses 3 and 5 that happens to talk a lot about the role of women in the church. And that's uh, just where we find ourselves today. And this letter to Titus is all about how to have order in the local church. God doesn't give us in the New Testament uh, a lot of rules and regulations about precisely, exactly the way that we are to do things. And some of us might not like that. Uh, He did that for the Israelites. He gave them absolute specifics down to the very close that that the priest, the one administering, was to wear, let alone the washings and the sacrifices and everything was absolutely regulated to the Israelites. Instead, he kind of gives us in the, in the church, in this age in which we are living, uh, guidelines to go by. And so we get into trouble when we try to treat the church like the nation of Israel with sets of rules and regulations when that isn't the way God is, is working right now in the life of the church. And you, this is a good example for me. It might not be a good example for you. But uh, this is similar to the way, the difference between the way the Air Force and the Navy works. Uh, in the Navy, when I was in the Navy as a pilot, we just, uh, I'm, that's all we knew. We knew the way that the Navy did things, and that's what we did. Basically, in the Navy, you have a big book that tells you, uh, gives you some guidelines. There are a lot of guidelines. It tells you the exact specific things you are to do here and there. And other than that, if it doesn't say you can't do it in the book, well, then you're kind of free to do it. Uh, the Air Force, now that I'm in, a, in an airline, we have Navy, Air Force, civilian pilot, pilots of all different stripes. You learn what the other people we're doing. The Air Force is very different than that. They have a set of book that is very similar to the Old Testament with a set of commands of do this, don't do that, do this at this time, do it perfectly, or don't do it at all. And the, this kind of mindset is uh, very ingrained in the Air Force. I think Mike said it was National uh, Air Force Appreciation Day. So there's some appreciation for the Air Force. You know, it fits for some people and other people it doesn't. It doesn't fit too well with me. So the Lord directed me to the Navy, and I had no idea that he was even doing that. Nevertheless, Paul does tell Titus a couple of things that need to be absolutes in the church. In fact, there's one thing. It needs to be orderly. It needs to have order. Paul left Timothy, uh, Titus in Crete to set things in order. And that essentially, as we have seen, comes down to two different uh, things that he needed to do. He needed to appoint elders in the various churches, and they needed to be about teaching certain things, essentially teaching the people how to live uh, in this world, how to apply the word to their lives. 
And that brings us to today, where we have the critical role of women in the church. And this really absolutely demonstrates the, the importance or the legitimacy of verse-by-verse Bible teaching. If it were up to me, I, I would teach on things that are, not that this doesn't interest me, it interests me very much, but things that are uh, kind of my favorite things to teach on. And I can assure you that uh, as the elder pastor of this church, it, is, it, is, it does not uh, give me joy to stand here and, and uh, essentially tell women what they're supposed to be do, doing, uh, just so we can get that out <laughs> from the beginning. But I do enjoy teaching the Word of God, and I do enjoy uh, people leaving, with a be- leaving this place with a better sense of what the Word says and we allow the Holy Spirit to, to uh, impress upon individuals how they ought to be applying those things to, to their lives. But with verse-by-verse verse teaching, we come to passages like this that speak about older women and younger women and things that they ought to be concerned with according to the Scriptures at any rate. Uh, and so with that, if, I, if it were up to me, you know, we could talk about the tribulation and, and uh, prophecy and uh, the gospel every week and these kinds of things, but you wouldn't get a balanced picture of what the Bible actually says. So again, the, the value of, of verse by verse teaching. And so at, here at Flushing Bible Church, we strive to teach the whole counsel of God and that uh, is where we are this morning. That brings us to today. Again, it's not my, my favorite thing to, uh, to preach to women about how they ought to be living. Uh, and that, is, that, of course, is not, is not my intention, but rather just to tell you, tell you what the Bible says and allow the Holy Spirit to, to apply it to your life. So today, uh, the critical role of women... <laughs> In the church, remember this is a pastoral epistle that uh, that Paul is giving here, delivered from Greece, most likely to the island of Crete, to this man Titus. He's left there to set things in order. Probably written after his first Roman imprisonment, sixty four, sixty six, A.D. sixty four to sixty six, somewhere in that time range. Key passages. Uh, Titus 2:11 through 15, Titus 3, 4, uh, 3 verses 4 through 8. Key principle of the book, the church must be orderly, and this is achieved through godly leaders who teach the word and believers who apply the word to their lives. And last week, we, we made our way into, kind of uh, moved beyond the elders. That's what chapter 1 is essentially about, the, the elders, their qualifications, kind of their role in the church, and why it's important, verses 10 through 16, uh, to dwelling on false teachers and the importance of having uh, elders who uh, know what they're doing and, and are focused in the right direction. Notice that's verses 10 through 16. The qualifications are verses 5 through 9. 
Uh, it not always is that the way it is that there's more you tell by the number of verses what's important, but sometimes it is kind of illuminating to see the kinds of things that God concentrates on uh, and uh, just states succinctly like the qualifications and then dwells on the importance of the elders to protect from, from false teachers. But then that brings us to uh, kind of the second part of, of what Titus is to be about teaching people. That's where we were last week in verses uh, 1 and 2. There was a command there to speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine in, in verse 1. It's also kind of interesting to show, to understand what the commands are, what the imperatives are in the language. Obviously, those are, those are things that we need to be understanding when God commands us to, or commands people to do things. Obviously, in the New Testament, we ought to be paying attention to that because it at least secondarily applies to us, and the command there is to speak, giving us the importance of, of the teaching that's the thing that distinguishes the church. And, and what is taught needs to be sound, we saw last time. Based on the, the Greek word is where we get our term for hygienic from. It needs to be clean. And when it's sound, when it's clean, it has the ability to be able to heal. And that's exactly what the Word of God does for us. When it's clean and pure, it tells us how to have our sins cleaned, how to have them purged, and how we can uh, walk in this, in this world. Then we saw the basics uh, there in the beginning of verse 2. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, and sensible. We looked at one of the defining kind of features of the book of Titus is that the words that he uses here are unique to the pastoral epistles. We're going to see another Another uniqueness to the language that Paul uses here in our uh, verses this morning, but those last week were very much, nearly every time they're used in the Bible, they're used in these pastoral epistles. Uh, but the, the older men are to be sober-minded, they're to be dignified, they're to be sensible. That's one to pay attention to as we go through these various demographics of the church we're going to see this being sensible over and over and over again. In fact, it's used directed towards every single group that Paul mentions here, including the elders and the older men, the younger men, the older women, the younger women. We're all to be sensible. We ought to know what that term means. We need to remember that. It, and it, essentially, it comes down to thinking clearly, having a biblical world view is what is entailed there. And as we saw in our study of Proverbs, if you'll remember, this, this idea of having a biblical worldview begins with the fear of the Lord. Having the fear of the Lord. Understanding that there is a God who is sovereign over this world and I am under Him. I am not God. He is God. He's separate from the creation uh, he created us. He is in authority over me, and I have sinned before him. That's what is essentially wrapped up in the fear of the Lord, and, and that's the basis. Once we have that down, then we can begin to have 
this kind of biblical worldview and be sensible. That is obviously very important to, to God for us to be that way. And then we saw that the byproduct there at the end of verse 2 is to have be sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in perseverance. There's that, that word sound again, hygienic. Have a clean faith, a clean or proper love, and a proper understanding of, of perseverance, which is being faithful in this life, being steadfast. And that brings us to today where we see the, the, the teaching directed towards uh, the women, chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. So in the, the critical role of women in the church, we'll begin with reverence and see the role and the results uh, when this is carried out. We begin with the reverence. reverence. I'll just read the whole passage there. It's not much. Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. There's only 41 verses in this entire uh, letter. Uh, there were some chapters in Revelation that had uh, <laughs> more than 41 verses. So at any rate, Titus 2, 3 says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Titus 2.3 is where we'll begin with that uh, idea of the older women being reverent in their behavior. Uh, notice that phrase there, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. Uh, this isn't the time for the, the men in the church to uh, just check out, oh, this is directed at the ladies. I can uh, scroll Instagram now, so it's all good. Uh, they, they are likewise to be reverent. Uh, that means they are to be the same as somebody else that we've already discussed, and that's the older men, of course. So all of these principles that we are talking here are not just directed towards uh, the women, these kind of overall principles of, of behavior, not specific things, obviously, that we'll get into today. But this idea of being reverent uh, applies to each, each one of us. And so uh, we all need to be, to be paying attention to these things. And, and the idea of being reverent is, is very much tied up in the, the qualities there for the older men, being temperate, dignified, sensible, and these kinds of things. The ladies are to be the same way. And this, uh, he points out the older women first, and this is probably a reference to kind of middle-aged women that are being uh, singled out here first, and, and perhaps the older ladies. Uh, people, women who have had children, have kind of gone through the young lady, young women uh, period of their life, and now have, have moved on. Presbutidas is the uh, Greek term, 
And it, this is the only place in the entire New Testament where this word is used. It's a hapax legomenon is the, uh, the impress all your friends at lunch today uh, with that one. Means that the word is only used a single time. And that is kind of the defining feature of these verses that so many of these words, like every major word, almost without exception, every major word in these three verses is a hapax legomenon, the only place in the entire Bible that it is used. And so uh, when we have these kinds of words, we need to, we can't just go to other verses in the Bible and see what they mean, because this is the only place that it's used. So you kind of have to go to the context. You can go to other uh, Greek writing, not myself, I'm not a Greek scholar or expert, but the, the scholars and experts go to other uh, Greek writings and see how the words are used. And this is a word that refers to kind of women who are not necessarily past childbearing age, but have already done it, have, uh, have uh, aged beyond uh, that period in their life. And when we come to the younger women here later, obviously that's going to be women who are younger. Uh, this Sometimes Bible study isn't hard. Uh, it's going to be referring to, in this case, women who have uh, children at home. And this word for reverend here, it's, it's very uh, interesting. Again, likewise, just like the older men, in fact, just like the elders, uh, a lot of the characteristics that we see or all the characteristics that we see being directed towards the older men were directed towards the elders. There's kind of a progression here. He's laying out what the lives of, of Christians ought to look like, and they ought to be reverent. For each and every one of us, obviously. But for whatever reason, Paul uses that term to do direct it towards the older women here because this is something that needs to be uh, emphasized for them. Hierapropes, I believe, is how you say that word. That's kind of a, a, diff a difficult one, but it is based on, kind of has as its root the Greek term hieron, which is the term for temple. And so that is uh, kind of the idea, similar idea to a temple priest uh, in the times of Israel. Again, it doesn't mean that you have to dress a particular way, exactly the way the temple priest did, but it's referring to the attitude that a temple priest would have. Uh, clearly, it, that needs to be a person who is serious about what they are doing uh, and, and uh, respectful of their role in, in what they are doing. That is the idea for the older women here. And that phrase, likewise, means that that ought to be the, the attitude and the kind of uh, way that the older men are living their lives as well. Uh, and then... Paul is going to go into what that, in addition to the things that we've already seen, how that can be applied uh, to the lives of the older women. Uh, in other words, if you're doing some of these things, if these things define your life, the way that you live your life, then you're not being 
reverent, essentially, is what uh, the takeaway here. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. So he begins with the, the don'ts, and then he'll go into the do's of what they ought to be doing. This term for malicious gossips is, an, is another one that's, that's very interesting. We can all kind of, uh, you know, we know what a gossip is. We know what gossip is when we hear it. Uh, it's not necessarily in the easiest term to, to perfectly define. But uh, uh, the Greek term, however, that is translated as malicious gossips is very interesting. Diabolos is the, the Greek term that is there, and it's translated as malicious gossips uh, several times, or a few times, I should say, in the New <laughs> Testament. Every other time, about 30 other times, it's translated as the devil. Uh, and so that gives us an indication of the seriousness of what gossip really is. You can either refer to someone as a gossip, or you can refer to Satan himself with the same term. That is uh, kind of enlightening. One example of Diabolos being used in the New Testament, Jesus said in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father, he said, speaking to the Pharisees. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That is the same term that is here being translated as malicious gossips. And so when we come to this, oftentimes gossip is just saying things that aren't true. And that's uh, obviously the tie between uh, gossips and the devil. The devil speaks things that aren't true. Uh, nearly every time he speaks them, even if he's speaking the truth, like quoting scripture, the devil knows the Bible. He knows it very well. I'm sure he knows it better than I do. He can probably quote the entire thing. But even when he's saying the truth, it is for malicious purposes. It's twisted. It's taken out of context. Oh, that's what gossip is. Even if it's the truth, it's twisted for a reason that isn't in keeping with the truth. That's, that's what gossip is all about. So I have this definition up here, speaking of other people's private lives with ill intent. Even if you're saying the truth, you're saying the truth in order to harm someone else. That's, that's essentially what gossip comes down to. Paul told Timothy in one of the pastoral epistles that uh, in the latter times, people are going to be unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good. This is going to uh, be a, a characteristic of people in future times. I think we might be living in those future times, uh, we certainly have a lot of the, a lot of the characteristics that, that uh, Paul is referring to in that passage. So obviously this is something that needs to be avoided. In fact, Diabolos, I have it in my notes, it's used 37 times in the New Testament. 34 of them are translated as devil. 
So for older women, uh, part of being reverent is to not be malicious gossip. So all the young ladies are thinking, oh, good. I don't have to worry about that just yet. I can save that for later. I can uh, add that uh, to my repertoire when I get older. Well, that is kind of ridiculous. And the men, same thing. Oh, that just applies to the older ladies. I don't have to worry about that. Uh, Men can be susceptible to this as well. But uh, I think there's a reason why Paul uh, mentions it here to the older ladies. Uh, these are our sin tendencies. Remember last time when, I, uh, w- when we realized or when we recognized that Paul is dividing the church essentially, uh, <laughs> to use the 21st century language, he's dividing us into all these groups. Uh, yeah, sometimes that's not, that's not a bad thing when we're understanding what our sin tendencies is and we can realize it based on kind of who we are, well, then we can begin to correct those things. And Paul points out this idea of being a malicious gossip to the older women, obviously something very much to be avoided, not just for them, but for for everyone. Also, he says not to be enslaved to much wine. Literally there, uh, using uh, kind of, at least at its root, a word of, of being a slave to something. And the women are to avoid that. Clearly, obviously, all of us are to avoid that. It's mentioned uh, in most of the passages about the leadership in the church. This same idea is mentioned, uh, being enslaved to wine or alcohol, any drug would fit in into this category. Uh, and alcohol and other narcotics and drugs, these kinds of things are enslaving just in their, in their nature, their makeup, the way that they interact with our brains, they enslave us. And clearly something to be in, avoided. I just saw this past week about, I think it was San Francisco or maybe Philadelphia, I'm not sure, one of the bigger cities on the coast, this picture of uh, people uh, on the streets who are taking these drugs, fentanyl mixed with something, I don't know, and it literally just turns them into zombies and they're on the streets, uh, literally enslaved to this uh, substance. Obviously, something that we are, we are to avoid. And unfortunately, in, in, the, in the world Today, you almost can't escape it. And uh, the smell of marijuana is everywhere. You can walk out the back door of here and you can smell it from time to time. Uh, When I'm riding my bike, you can smell it on the streets coming out from people's houses. And uh, with my work, you know, I'm going around in the middle of the day a lot of times. And uh, yeah, so that tells you there are people... Uh, who are at home in the mornings, in the afternoons, who are enslaved to these things. And, and we, can't, we can't be like that. Uh, and I remember I had thought of this this week. Well, I was over at a friend's house when I was like in junior high, and his mom was there and telling uh, my friend, her son, to get, him, get, get her a glass of wine. And I just remember thinking, wow, that's uh, crazy. And he did. 
And that was like in the middle, middle of the day too. Uh, I thank the Lord for my mother who wasn't like that. <laughs> instead, instead of being enslaved to, to much wine, we are to be slaves to Christ. Just like Paul was. Paul says, Titus 1.1, Paul, a bondservant of God. He, was, uh, he had enslaved himself to God rather than substances. Uh, and the same is to be true for us. Paul told the Ephesians, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be filled with alcohol or other drugs and allow them to control your thinking and your actions. Instead, be filled by the Holy Spirit and be controlled uh, your thinking and your actions by Him instead of these uh, foreign substances, obviously. So those are, the, those are the don'ts for the older ladies. What are the do's? Well, there's uh, really actually only one <laughs> that's mentioned here. Teaching what is good. They are to be about. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. Teaching what is good. The word there for teaching. Teaching what is good is actually all one Greek term. Kalodidaskalos is the, the Greek term there. Guess what? That's another hapax legomenon. There it is on the screen for you to see that word. You got to get that one in there so you can, again... Say it to somebody at lunch today. Uh, well, what what he what it's being the part of speech there is an adjective. It's describing the the older women that this is what they are. Kind of, this is to be something that is descriptive of them, describing who they are to be. Teaching what is good and teaching uh, isn't just uh, standing up here in front of a group of people. Uh, that's obviously that's a facet of teaching, but teaching also comes down to the way you're living your life, the, the kind of example that you set. That's a teachers in Jesus's time, Plato, Socrates, you know, they had, they were called followers because they were literally following them around and living life with them, seeing how to do life, quote unquote, and the teacher, the one who was in charge of the group, had to be an example of the things that he was teaching, obviously, otherwise. It isn't going to be uh, effective in any way, way, shape, or form. And so uh, here, the older women are charged to be an example, to uh, kind of... Uh, be the ones who are in the position of leadership, being an example, in this case, to the younger women. Uh, and, uh, of course, when the, the opportunity exists to, to, to literally teach things, uh, but it needs to be good in this case, in our uh, uh, compound word here that Paul uses. And so the, that sort of thing that is being taught or that example that is being set needs to be in keeping with sound doctrine. Because after all, 2 Timothy 3.16, speaking of the Bible, 
It says all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. In other words, the, the, the Bible isn't just so we can have a set of facts in our brains. It is, it's to guide our actions as well. In verse 17, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We take in the teaching of God's word and we allow it to uh, inform our decision-making and our actions. And, and it equips us to be able to do good things. That is the idea of what Paul is getting at here with this term, teaching what is good, teaching by example, and of course, outright uh, instruction. And this can take uh, many forms, of course. Uh, I think churches ought to have a women's Bible study of some sort, because after all, uh, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof and correction, these kinds of things. Uh, women uh, need fellowship, need uh, teaching of the word and these kinds of things. And uh, personally, I think a woman ought to teach it. Some, some churches are going to disagree with that. Uh, I think a woman ought to, to be the one teaching those things. And here in this case, the older women are to teach the younger women sound doctrine, be an example of sound doctrine being lived out in her life so that the younger women are equipped to live life for the Lord. And this is just an ongoing cycle. That's the way Christianity works. Christianity, as has often been said, is literally one generation from not existing at all anymore. If the older don't teach the younger, it isn't going to be taught. It's going to go extinct. So it's kind of incumbent upon every one of us to, to carry this on. So the older women are to be reverent. That is entailed not living like the devil, like a malicious gossip, not being enslaved to to wine or, or really you could insert any substance there. Instead, teaching what is good, being an example, literally teaching the younger women. Then we come to the role as that we see in verse 4 with the, the reason why they are to be doing this. So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home. Continuing into verse 5. But notice that first uh, phrase there, so that, that is uh, one Greek word, hina, a hina clause. Uh, in this case, they're teaching with the intention of an outcome. They are to uh, teach what is good so that something might happen. And in this case, it is to encourage the younger women, uh, to advise them, to literally bring to their senses. The term there is sophronizo. Guess what that is? That's the only place in the New Testament that this word is used, sophronizo. Uh, the verb form of sophron that we have already seen that is translated as sensible, well, that's a noun. This is a verb that Paul, uh, he didn't invent 
but rather he, it's not the only time this word is ever used in Greek. It's used by others outside of the Bible, uh, but the only time it's used in the New Testament. And that's going to be why you'll see if you compare English versions, every one of them, almost without exception that I have in my Logos Bible program, I've got probably, oh, I don't know, eight or nine different English translations. They all have a different word, almost without exception, as the translation of Sophronizo, because uh, it's the only place it's used in the Bible is uh, one good reason. The ESV has says train. New King James is admonish. King James Version is teach. New International Version uh, version is urge, and that's uh, it's kind of kind of a weak translation, but it, that's all right. It's it's okay. Uh, the Net Bible, New English Translation. I uh, don't know, know if you're familiar with that when it comes from Dallas Seminary, written by a bunch of scholars there at Dallas. Has the word train there as well, like the ESV. Uh, NASB here uh, is uh, translated as encourage with a note. If you have the NASB, there's superscript one there. And that is, uh, with that, it says train as well. Uh, the, the Net Bible has a note that goes, uh, that is interesting. It says this verb, sofronizo, denotes teaching in the sense of bringing people to their senses, showing what sound thinking is. So literally teaching people to have a biblical worldview in this context is what uh, Paul is getting at with the older women teaching the younger women essentially how they need to be thinking bringing them to their senses, training them, encouraging them, admonishing them, urging them to uh, do these certain things today uh, or in their lives, which is a perfect reminder for us today because the world is going to tell us exactly the opposite of the things that we are, that we've already talked about But certainly the things that we are about to get into, younger women are going to be and are absolutely encouraged to do exactly the opposite of what the Bible is here saying. And so we need to, we all need to be sofrenizoed from (laughs) time, from time to time. We all need to be encouraged to be brought to our senses because we are constantly under bombardment, men, women, children, from the world to do and act in a way that is completely contrary to the Scriptures. So we need to be trained. We need to be encouraged. We need to be admonished. And that's why we're here. It's not to, uh, it's not to, to necessarily follow a set of rules and regulations and do this and look this way and act perfectly this way, uh, but it is, it is to be a reminder that the world is against you. Satan is against you. Satan wants to drag you down to his level, literally and metaphorically, and he wants you to live in a way that is contrary to the scriptures. So these kinds of ideas that are going to be covered here in the following verses are belittled and uh, 
and uh, looked down on, diminished, uh, said to be foolish and these kinds of things when that's what the Bible says. And so we ought to, we, we should be encouraged to learn what the Bible says and apply it to our lives because it's, it's so, so very important to every one of us. And the older women are to lead by example in, in this situa- situation, teaching, mentoring, uh, encouraging, and these kinds of things. And so what are the specifics? They are encouraged here or to train literally the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. It begins with in verse four. So obviously the implication here is that in this case, addressing the women who have husbands and who have uh, uh, children. And not everybody has a husband. Not everybody has a child or children. And I understand this. Uh, some are young that they don't, they haven't reached that point. Others are on a different path at this point in their life. Paul is addressing the, uh, the majority, if you will, uh, kind of, uh, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, when, when he is doing this, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that in order to be a good Christian, you have to have a husband and children as a woman and these kinds of things. He's just addressing the situation because that's the tendency of <laughs> the way life, uh, not normally, but the majority of the time, that's the way life goes. And so uh, the older women are to be living their lives in such a way that they ex- exhibit and example these characteristics. So what are these characteristics? Uh, the Greek term there is philandros, and it's being used as an adjective. Guess what? Only time it's used in the New Testament. And it's literally uh, uses the term uh, phylos, which is uh, understood a lot of times as brotherly love. Philadelphia, after all, is, is the city of brotherly love. But it's more than just a, a brotherly love or a sibling love. It's a special, that, that person holds a special place in your, in your heart, to use our figurative language, and, and your love for that person is special. And attached onto it is andros, the word for man or, or husband. So literally, the adjective is that you are to be a husband lover, a person who is loving your husband. Your husband has a special place in your, in your heart, in your love, in your thinking. Again, uh, watch a sporting event in particular. I, that's probably about the only thing I even watch on TV, but the commercials for any uh, TV show at this point in time. Uh, the man is a complete idiot. The woman is rolling her eyes. Oh, you're such a jerk. Come with me like you're the little puppy dog. And, and I'll straighten things out. That is essentially the, the, the role of the husband in society today. That isn't the way that it's supposed to be. It may be in some examples, but that isn't the way it's supposed to be. The, the, the wife isn't supposed to be rolling her eyes at her husband thinking what a moron he is. 
And the husband isn't supposed to be a moron either, after all. Uh, but nevertheless, she, she is being told here or described here that she ought to be one who loves her husband. Her husband is to have a special place in her heart, in her, in her thinking. And also her children, Philotechnos, another only use, hapax legomenon, an adjective. She is to be about loving her children, the same as her, as her husband. Uh, you know, same, you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> her children are to have a special place in her, in her thinking. She is to be geared towards loving her husband and loving her children is what is being described here. And incidentally, an interesting takeaway from this, this idea of Paul using all of these terms uh, as the only place in the entire Bible, that tells us something about who Titus is. That Titus wouldn't have been scrambling for his dictionary to look these terms up. In other words, he's a well-read person. He doesn't just know what the Bible says. He understands when Paul is writing these things to him and using these terms that aren't anywhere else in the Bible. He's familiar with them. He knows what they mean. He's, he's uh, educated, well, well-rounded, and understands what, what Paul is saying to him. And so here, getting to the, the women, the older women are to example, teaching what is good, not going around gossiping, spreading lies, spreading the truth in a way that hurts other people. They're not to be about partying and uh, getting drunk and these kinds of things. They're, they are to be teaching and exampling what is good so that they can train, encourage, admonish, lead the younger women to be people who love their husbands and love their children. And also in verse 5, uh, they are to be sensible, which for some reason didn't make it. Uh, there it is in the notes. Never mind. It did make it. I included it all in the, in the, uh, the other note. Don't pay attention to that that one yet. It won't go away. Okay, don't look at workers at home yet. We're still being sensible and pure. Uh, sensible. Again, here's that term. Uh, sophros, I believe. Sophron is the term used four times, all in the pastorals, and used over and over and over this idea, again, in within uh, Titus, Every single group is to be sensible, have to be in control, have clear thinking. The uh, theological dictionary of the New Testament, if you happen to have a Bible program with that uh, particular resource in it, sometimes you have to be careful. It's exactly that, a theological dictionary of the New Testament. So the writers sometimes insert their theological ideas in there. So you got to be careful. Nevertheless, you can get a lot of good uh, information from it when it comes to this word sophron. It, it just has the implication that it leads to chaste behavior. And so uh, that's this idea of sensible thinking. When we look at pagan religions and we look at uh, uh, the atheists of the world, the intellectuals by Paul Johnson would highly recommend that book for you. There are some uh, 
some graphic details of the lives of the intellectuals who, without exception, uh, at least in this, this book, are, are atheistic in their thinking. It, and so, as we've described before, when you're an atheist, you're going to try to create your, your own theology or your own thinking about the world without God. You're going to remove God. You're going to have your own way of thinking. And inevitably, that line of thinking leads to behavior that is unchaste or in, uh, uh, not chaste, to say the least. These people uh, had lives that are, that are, and still to this day, you look at the actors and actresses, people in the public eye, who very much uh, live in an atheistic way. Their lives are total disasters. And, and it, it exhibits itself in their sexual behavior. It is not chaste in any way, shape, or form. That's why this, uh, this idea of being sensible, thinking clearly, you're not being driven by your passions, you're being driven by good, rational thinking, which is going to lead you away from that sort of behavior. And again, that's pointed to every single demographic in this letter that Paul is, uh, that is addressing here. Every one of them is to be sensible, in control, clear in their thinking. Chaste is the result. Being chaste is the result. And also they are to be pure. There it says in verse 5, they are to be encouraged or trained to be women who love their husbands, love their children, to be sensible and pure. Without sin is what it literally means. And it's a similar idea as being above reproach. The first uh, requirement there for the elder in verse 6 of chapter 1 in Titus. Uh, Again, obviously it's pointing to, it doesn't mean that if you commit a sin, then you're not uh, following this, or you commit a sin and you can't be an elder. I'd have to leave, obviously, (laughs) if that were the case. It's living in such a way that you are being an example for the Lord in your public life with the implication, of course, that you are pure before the Lord. You have been forgiven by Jesus Christ. That's the only way that you're going to be uh, without sin is trusting in him, understanding that you are a sinner and trusting in the sacrifice of Christ. And then he's going to give you, of course, his righteousness. Uh, this is in line with that, but exhibiting yourself in such a way that, that your sin isn't obvious to the world. That, that is the idea. When the older women uh, teach what is good, example what is good, the younger women will be encouraged to be like this. And the idea of being workers at home. Another one, uh, the only use of this particular term that Paul uses here. It's not the only place that this uh, idea is transmitted, but this is the only place that this uh, word is used. And this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. And I understand the, uh, the complications. I understand the difficulties that people may have with this. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And, and the, that's, a, that's a pretty good translation of, of what the word actually is. 
and there is, there is nothing uh, demeaning about this. We have roles in this life that have been given to us by God. And so uh, I remember in the Navy, as a matter of fact, when I was, uh, got to be, it's called the 2P and the P3 anyway, the second pilot. We had three pilots on our airplane, the guy who's in charge, the 2P, and then another uh, pilot. And I remember my, the guy that I had as my aircraft commander told me, being the 2P is the best job in the Navy. You, have, you don't have all of the responsibility of being the one in charge that if anything goes wrong on this airplane, I'm the one, he <laughs> said, who's going to take the fall. You're not going to take that, but you still have a measure of, of leadership and responsibility. You have important things that need to be done. For example, filing the flight plan as the 2P. If I didn't file the flight plan, guess what? We couldn't take off. And so it's the same idea with the, the woman or mother in the home. Uh, that responsibility is, is high and worthy of respect of men, uh, the children in the home. Uh, just because it, it isn't the head of the home doesn't mean that it isn't important. In fact, uh, the home collapses without the woman fulfilling her role. And guess what happens when the home collapses? Well, America, 2023 is what happens. Uh, the whole society collapses. And so what exactly does this term mean? Well, I think Proverbs 31 is a wonderful place to go to see this idea exemplified. Verses 25 through 31 kind of uh, sum it up, but it begins in verse 10. We won't take the time to read the whole thing. But Proverbs 31, beginning in verse 25, speaking of this woman who is, who, of whom her main focus is on her home. Doesn't mean she has to spend 24 hours a day in her home and never leave. And all she's doing is, is cleaning and cooking and cleaning up after the kids. Uh, rather, her focus is on her home. Proverbs 31, 25, strength and dignity are her clothing. That's, kind of, that's a little different than what we may think. And she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. And he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gate. So obviously this is, it's a position of dignity and it describes earlier in Proverbs 31, it describes her providing clothes for her family and she sells property. She has things going on that aren't necessarily contained within the four walls of her house. But nevertheless, she is fulfilling that role of being the one who is kind of in charge of the home and the direction of the home and men, young men with wives and children at home, a uh, piece of advice, it would behoove you to allow her to do that. 
allow her to be the one who is is guiding and, and leading and directing that portion of your life. And so this, of course, is, is discouraged and demeaned and looked down on in the world, this role of the woman as being a, a worker at home or uh, uh, a keeper of the home, as it says, Paul said to Timothy. Uh, however, it, we need to be people who are about the word instead of the world. First Timothy 5.14, Paul says to Timothy, therefore I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan, he says there to Timothy. Kind of uh, much stronger language than uh, than what he gives to Titus. I'm not saying that if you if you have a job as a woman that you're following Satan. That's not that's not the point. However, you can read of the intellectuals uh, in the 1800s, in particular in America, turning women away from the home and towards a godless theology of the world. And that is precisely what what has happened with feminism, which in a lot of cases is actually brought to us according to men. Uh, But nevertheless, uh, modern day feminism is kind of a, a outworking of Marxist thought, a world without God, these kinds of things. Casting off God, and his word in inserting inserting humanistic kind of thinking. So uh, workers at home, the world's ideas, this is uh, kind of an adaptation of the notes that you can see for uh, from Thomas Constable's notes. He had a chart that was kind of along these same lines. Uh, the world's idea is that the home is drudgery. You can see that everywhere you go. Women are demeaned. The idea of, of keeping house and raising children, you know, raising the next generation that's going to be in the world. Ah, we don't, we don't want anything to do with that. Uh, instead, actually, the Bible tells us that the home is a haven and women do well to build it up. Proverbs 14.1, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Uh, the world's going to tell you that children are a burden. Bible tells us actually that children are a blessing and a means of sanctification for women in particular. First Timothy 2.15, but women will be preserved, saved is the term there. I think you can safely insert sanctified through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. You will be sanctified if you react to your children with uh, patience and encouragement and this kinds of thing. Uh, you're going to be forced to, to learn how to be patient and how to love and how to have self-restraint. That's the idea of that. The world's going to tell you to put your children in daycare. Uh, the Bible tells us to raise our children for the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4. Children get in the way of self-achievement, the world's going to tell us. The Bible tells us that children are actually a heritage 
to us. Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. The world tells us exactly the opposite. The world's going to tell you to demand your rights to self-fulfillment. I want to do X, Y, or Z. The Bible tells us to, to submit ourselves to the Lord. Uh, and so obviously, uh, the Christian life is one largely of submission. That, that's essentially what it comes out to. Lower yourself and lift up God. That's what John the Baptist said in John 3 30, when his disciples came to him and complained, hey, all these people are going after Jesus. Uh, we don't have as many at our uh, Saturday morning service now <laughs> as we used to. Everybody's following Jesus now instead. What was John the Baptist's response? He must increase. I must decrease. That is, that is the, the, uh, the essence of being a Christian. The church uh, shouldn't be about promoting itself, promoting its band, promoting its light show, promoting its super cool uh, pastor and these kinds of things. The church promotes Christ. And the, the very same thing needs to be true in the lives of the ladies and the, and the true, uh, true of the lives of, of every one of us. We lower ourselves in order to serve Christ. And we all do this in different ways. So this, of course, is directed at the younger ladies. And I know this is going kind of long, I'm sorry. Uh, but at any rate, what, what about uh, after that? What about as you get older? Well, you, uh, for the ladies, you fit into the category of the older women, so you ought to be about being an example to them. What if I don't have children? Uh, I would... I, I would encourage you to live live your life. Most people, uh, just as as we are humans, that uh, we are driven towards having a companion in life. That uh, that's just the way it goes. If that isn't the way it is for you, you know, live your life. There's freedom. There's freedom in Christ. But Paul is directing this towards. Uh, the home, if you will, because the home is how this whole thing perpetuates. I'm not sure if you realize that, but when people have children, that's how society keeps, uh, keeps moving on. And that's what Paul's focus is, is here. So, you know, I, I would say as a single woman or these kinds of things, be an example of Christ likeness to the people around you. There's freedom in Christ. I'm not going to presume to tell you uh, what to do. This, this uh, passage is, is directed towards someone else. And we'll quickly go through the results because I don't want to go two weeks and the ladies will get mad at me because uh, <laughs> you spent two weeks on the ladies and only one on the men. <laughs> so the rest of verse 5, the, the, the older ladies teach and example this with a, a eye towards training the younger women also to be kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. They are to be kind, be good, 
have be goodness, be what you are defined as. Because after all, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, men, women, old, young, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good, same word, or bad. Tabitha is an example of a woman in the Bible, Acts 9, verses 36 and following, who was said to be good, this kind, the same kind of, uh, the same word here. She was raised from the dead by Peter. And they are to be subject to their own husbands. It says here, uh, subject to their own husbands. Their husband, not somebody else's husband, not all men in general. This is not uh, the patriarchy, if you will. This is not God saying men are better than women and all women are subject to men. That's how uh, evil men throughout history have mistranslated, twisted the words of the Bible. It's not at all what is being said here. There's order in the home. The, the man has been given the responsibility of being the head of the home and the woman is said here to hypotasso is the Greek term, and it is a present passive participle. She submits herself. This doesn't say, uh, husbands, subject your wife to you. That is not, not in any way, shape, or form what is being said. The woman does this of her own initiative. Uh, and men, it would behoove you to not demand that uh, your wife submit to you, let alone all women. That's not at all uh, what it is uh, saying here. Uh, rather, this is something that the woman does of her own initiative. And this isn't the only place this is used. Uh, this is not a hotbox legomenon. Ephesians 5.22, wives, be subject to your own husband. Same idea there. Subject yourself. Do it willingly as to the Lord, it says in Ephesians 5.22. Colossians 3.18, wives, be subject to your husband. Submit yourself to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. There is to be order in the home the same as there is to be order in the church. And this is done for a reason. We have another uh, Hina clause here. So that the word of God will not be dishonored, the NASB says. Uh, the, again, this is being done for a purpose. And it, there, it literally says so that the word is not blasphemed uh, is the term there that's translated as dishonored. The purpose of this is not to keep women in subjection, hold up the patriarchy and these kinds of things, make sure that all men have the power and this kind of thing. No, it is so that the word of God is not blasphemed. Did you ever notice that it's a lot of times or at least sometimes that unbelievers know the Bible better than, than we do? They know the things that they know what the Bible says and how Christians ought to be acting sometimes a lot better than we do. And when they see us not doing it, well, they don't attack you, they attack God. And they say things about God that aren't 
true. Uh, and so in this, uh, the ladies are to be an example to the world about what God says. And uh, so that the world doesn't say and uh, perpetuate things that are untrue about God. Paul warned the Romans about the same thing. Uh, And quoting the Old Testament, the Jewish people were living just like the world, and the world blasphemed God because of it. Isaiah warned them about that. Paul quoted that to the Romans. He says, Romans 2.24, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. And so when we, uh, as Christians, as believers, live like the world, uh, have the same kind of thinking as the world, the same desires, the same uh, wants, the same pursuits, God is blasphemed because of that. And guess what? When we don't, when we live like the Scriptures tell us to live, uh, we don't give the world the opportunity to uh, blaspheme the Word of God and God Himself. So just like we saw in our Scripture reading this this morning that women played a critical role in the life and ministry of Christ on the earth, women have a very critical role in the church today. The older women are to teach the younger women how to be good wives and mothers. Younger women are to love their children uh, and raise them for the glory of God. And women have been given this, this role of being keepers of the home, and it is an absolutely uh, glorious position that is worthy of respect and our, our admiration for the job that they do, without which the home falls apart. The country, in turn, will fall apart after that without godly women uh, fulfilling these, this God-given role. And praise the Lord for them. And so with that, uh, this, this uh, message was very much geared towards the, uh, uh, the daily living of life. And of course, all of that is for naught uh, if, we are, if we do not have a right relationship with the Lord to begin with. And uh, any, any kind of good thing that we do, your home could be in perfect order. You could be at home and uh, whatever your ideal of for a woman as uh, having the perfect home, your kids are perfectly dressed, everybody's well fed, it's spotless, or whatever your, whatever your idea is, you could do all that and uh, get to the end of your life and not have a right relationship with God. And so then it would become completely pointless and fruitless. And so God in His grace has, has given us a way to be right with Him, and it is simply by trusting in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We uh, submit ourselves to the truth that my good works can't make me right with God. Instead, I need to trust in Jesus and his good works, his perfect life that he lived and sacrificing it on the cross, dying and rising again. I trust in that. And at the instant that you do that, he gives you his righteousness. And you can do that uh, wherever you are, it's not a matter of, of telling me or telling anybody. It's between you and God. The moment you trust in Christ, you have 
eternal life. That is all done by His grace and His love. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Word. I thank You for the, the relevance of Your Word, words that were written 2,000 years ago and still apply to us uh, today just as perfectly as they did then. I just pray that You would guide us in our walk with You. Help us to be transformed by Your Word and by the renewing of our minds. I thank You for the ladies in this church. I, I just pray that You would bless them and keep them. I thank You for the many examples of godly women that we have here uh, both older and younger. And I just pray that you would encourage them in their, in their walk with you, encourage them in the, the station that you have for them in their lives right now. And just pray that we would, each one of us would walk wisely and in accordance with the truth of your word. And we will give you all of the glory and all of the praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.